Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first, and I, I think it's still America's only sake podcast. I am your host, John Puma, from the Sake Notes, the administrator over at the internet, Sake Discord, and the Kohai to Tim's Senpai. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a sake samurai, a sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I will be here tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. Yes. So, John, you know what? I am still missing Japan. We seem to say that every week. <laughs> well, well, we're getting there. We're getting it's getting yeah. better. They're going to start allowing business people in soon. Mm -hmm. As long as they're staying for more than three months. That would not be me. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I'm sure you remember back to your first trips to Japan. We've talked about them a few times on the show, mm. but there's a lot of rules and regulations <laughs> and customs in Japan. Were you ever nervous about doing things wrong, like not taking your shoes off at the right place or leaving your shoes on at the right place or anything like that? Well, anything like strike you with fear? <laughs> with fear. Well, the shoe thing I was kind of comfortable with. I had um, some 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 neighbors around my neighborhood growing up around my age who were who were Korean, and mm -hmm. so we would visit their place. We always had to take our shoes off like right by the door, and I was like, "Why are we? That's so weird." And then like later on in life, I was like, "Actually, this is much more comfortable. Why don't I do this at home?" Um, but <laughs> so I, that I was very accustomed to. I, I kind of got that. You know, I understood. Having said that, there were definitely scenarios where, you know, people are doing things and you're kind of looking around and realizing you're not doing what everybody else is doing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And like, oh, no. And yeah. But I think the one that's freshest in my mind was actually uh, on my most recent trip. And, oh. and it's something I did not know was a no-no at the time. And it was not something I realized was a no-no until – a bit later on, I listened in on yep. a, a sake etiquette lecture that you hosted. Yes. And I found out that when we were going out drinking with several uh, Japanese people and they all, they ordered some beers to get started. And I am not a beer drinker. And I mm -hmm. politely declined the beer because I felt it was not the right thing to waste the beer. That's my, that was my thought. <laughs> And everybody was very polite about it. But in retrospect, finding out that there's a lot of rules and regulations, as you mentioned, and <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to get into this, I broke a regulation. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was, you know, months later, stunned and shocked and in horror that I, that I screwed up very badly. <laughs> well, it happens to the best of us foreigners traveling in Japan. And there are tons of etiquette rules and regulations about how to use your chopsticks, how to enter a home, gift giving, uh, reciprocating gift giving. And my favorite area of etiquette, of course, is all about sake and drinking etiquette. So I thought that might be something fun to talk about today. And you just said you stepped in it pretty bad <laughs> in Hokkaido. <laughs> I did step into it pretty bad, but, you know, I learned. And, mm -hmm. and I do think that learning about sake etiquette is, it's important. You're going to come across this sort of thing. And if you want to yeah. be, you want to be a well-cultured individual that 
can blend into an environment a little bit better, uh, and you want to be drinking a lot of sake, this is a very good, uh, very good thing to know. Before we go any further, why don't you explain for anyone listening, why was it bad that everyone was initial round was beer and you ordered sake? What's, what's wrong with that? Uh, it's all about the wah, Tim. It's yes. all about the wah. I broke the wah. And so, uh, so basically, in very layman's terms, I broke the vibe of the table by not getting in on the same – uh, the same event that they were doing. They, it, was, it wasn't just, oh, we're going to have a beer. It is we are going to have a beer. The table is going to celebrate yeah. with this beer. And I was like, no, I'm good. And again, my impression was I'm not going to waste this beer. But the way it's taken is he doesn't want to participate <laughs> in, 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 the, yeah. in, the table's, uh, in the table's vibe. Is that a good way of putting it? Well, Wa is often translated as like group harmony. Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, when everybody starts out, you want everyone on the same page, everyone on the same vibe, and everyone ordering beer, I've seen that quite often, where it's just easier if everyone gets the same thing for the first round and everyone's starting out on the same pace. And yeah, so that's the idea behind that. And that's a pretty subtle one. That's not a huge infraction in my book. Oh, so I won't, I'm not going to be in, in, in sake etiquette jail for this one? No, you won't be in sake etiquette jail. And, you know, let's talk about why etiquette is important in the first place. Like, why do you want, why do you even care about the drinking rules if you go to Japan? And we should also say that this is for people, non-Japanese people visiting Japan and interacting in restaurants and situations where you would be drinking in Japan. Mm. And if you're in a U.S. setting with a lot of Japanese people around, it's really helpful to know these etiquette things as well. But why do you think in general it's important to know about etiquette and even worry about it? Well, I mean, for starters, you're a guest. That's true. And I've always been told <laughs> when you are somebody's guest, you're there's an expectation that comes with that, that you're going to be a good guest and good guests mm -hmm. care about the customs. Like if you had a thing where somebody where you don't like people to walk around your house with shoes on and somebody walks in and you ask them to take their shoes off and they don't, that's rude. And you're yes, number one, that is number rude. one, that's just rude. You don't want to be rude. And number two, you're probably not inviting that person over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say for the majority of foreigners interacting with sake abroad, if there's any missteps or etiquette, faux pas. I think they're unintentional and easily forgiven by people over there. Mm. But I think taking the time to learn what's proper, you don't have to get crazy about it, but even just the basics, it goes such a long way to smoothing your path to good communication and good cultural exchange when you are in Japan, don't you think? I think you're totally right. As a foreigner, they don't have a lot of expectations yeah. <laughs> about you. <laughs> Um, in fact, they probably have pretty low expectations right. and I kind of like the idea of, you know, coming above that and like not, you know, like, I, I don't like the idea of like just riding with that. Well, they're not going to expect anything from me, so I'm not going to give them anything. I think mm. that that's like, I think that's rude. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, as a guest, I, it's on me to be the best guest I can be. And that is respecting customs. Mm -hmm. It's. You know, it's it's just it's being polite. Now, having said that, and we did you know we did mention that there are there are some rules that I think are a lot of, are very obvious 
that I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, of course. <laughs> However, there are a lot of rules, like, for example, get the beer that you may not know about. <laughs> you know, obviously, when everybody else takes off their shoes, you know, take off your shoes. Right. Yeah, you can learn a lot from watching what other people are doing and just kind of follow follow suit, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that is that is the pro move. <laughs> yes. Well, I know. That's the amateur move, <laughs> but it gets you really far. It's just like kind of look around you and do what the other people are doing. If they're doing it, the chances are that's what's supposed to happen yeah. and and go with it. And, you know, I think that with the shoes, even uh, even in the West, we know we know the shoe. A lot of people know the shoe thing. Yes. Um, and that's not that's going to apply to every place you go. It's a classic, yes. It's not going to apply to every place you go in Japan. It's not going to apply to every restaurant you set foot in. It's going to apply, it's going to apply to very few of the restaurants you actually set foot in. Um, but if you visit somebody's home, it will very likely come up. Yeah. And you want to be you want to be cognizant of that. And you want to be a good guest. You want to be the best guest you can be. So yes. you get invited back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, there are some rules that are a little more. You don't, that are not, not as obvious. Would you say mm, that, Tim? Yes. There's very <laughs> subtle rules and there's more strict rules and there's different levels of formality at different occasions. So there's mm. 50 shades of gray here. But uh, I think that there's... Uh, phrasing. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to use 50 shades of gray? Um, but... You, know, you do know what that book is about, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> it's not about color theory. No, it's not about color theory or about shading, believe it or not. Well, uh, okay. Um, so do you know what the, when it comes to sake in Japan, what the golden rule of etiquette is? There's one rule that towers above them all. Do you know what that is? I do. And I learned this one from watching others. <laughs> and that is you don't pour for yourself. Bingo. You got it. If anyone mm. takes something away from this podcast episode about <laughs> sake manners yes. in Japan, this is it. You never yeah. pour for yourself. Yeah. Do not pour your own sake. Now, I've definitely poured my own sake. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was a simple situation where I, the first time this occurred, um, we were out with friends and this person had uh, poured for everybody, including themselves. So when it, when I emptied my drink, I poured for everybody, including myself. But what I didn't realize was that my friend probably didn't think we knew the custom because we mm. didn't. And if he didn't pour for himself, he probably wouldn't have had any sake. Yes. <laughs> oh, so it was all Americans and one Japanese guy. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Do you know why it's considered good form to pour for others, but not for yourself? I don't actually. So in Japan, there's a lot of hierarchy and a lot of different levels of authority at Japanese companies, for example. And if you're at a business dinner with your boss and the vice president and you're kind of lowly in the company, you can't just walk over to the boss and slap him on the back and start chatting with him. But pouring somebody's sake is considered very polite and it allows people who normally wouldn't be able to interact uh, on a day-to-day -day basis to have some interaction. So I always describe pouring for others as a socially recognized and acceptable icebreaker situation. And I, I often view it also as a mini ritual. Like it's so pervasive in Japanese culture that people pour for each other as a way to honor the other 
and br- bring themselves down a little bit and raise the other person up. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a mini ritual and it's functions as an icebreaker in social situations. If you don't know anyone, pick up the bottle, start pouring for everyone, and you can meet everyone at the table real quick. So we're going with the idea that everyone loves the person that's pouring sake for them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in, immediate friendship and bonding. Yeah. So you mentioned what do you do if your glass is empty and you can't pour for yourself, how do you get sake in your glass? Uh, I think that's a very, very important question. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you sip your sake a little more quickly than other people. Yes. Well, the number one way in Japan to get sake poured in your glass is pick up the bottle and start pouring for others. Even if they're not empty, offer them and pretend you <laughs> want to fill their glass. Their eyes will dart to your glass so quickly and they will grab the bottle out of your hands and pour for you as fast as could be. So there's there's this cultural understanding about pouring for others. And it's really as a, as a good guest at an event or a dinner, keeping your eye on everyone else's glass is kind of the polite thing to do. Uh-huh. All right. Got it. All right. That makes sense. So <laughs> you start topping off everybody who's full. Somebody's going to be like, all right, this he's thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you may wonder, you know, if, if you're, if everyone's constantly pouring for each other, how do you say no? How do you like stop the flow? <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, because if somebody else is thirsty, they're going to perhaps pour for you to mm-hmm. get you to maybe help them get some more sake in their yeah. cup. So what stops you from getting Well, more? if you leave about 80 or 90% full in your glass and just kind of stop mm-hmm. drinking at that point, when someone leans over to f- pour your glass, you can just say, oh, no, no, let me get you. And you take the bottle and pour for them. Ah. And it's kind of like a tacit understanding. And people are not usually too aggressive about making you chug your sake. Maybe, you know, in a <laughs> hardcore old boys club business situation, they may do that. But in a <laughs> Friend situation, people are pretty respectful about that. So, well, that's good. Uh, what else do people need to know about this? So, you've got your you've got your sake. You're not pouring for yourself. You're being very generous and pouring for other people. When you are looking to have a little more sake, you're just gonna pour for other people again and kind of then hope that somebody you know picks up on it, which they mm-hmm. will. And what else do we need to know? Well, there's also a question of receiving sake. Like what's the polite way mm. to receive sake? Like if someone holds out a carafe or a bottle and they point it your way and it's obvious they want to pour for you, there is a right and a wrong way to receive the sake as well. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the wrong way, Tim? <laughs> well, the wrong way is to kind of lean back and fold your arms and stick your chin out and say, okay, go ahead and pour for me. Like that's oh, not the right way. I've, definitely done that. (laughs) (laughs) The polite thing to do in, again, in more formal situations, this doesn't apply to super casual sake pubs or whatever, but in a more formal situation, you want to pick up your glass off the table and hold it with two hands, usually one under and one around the cup and meet the person halfway. And it's a sign Mm -hmm. of respect to appreciate their gesture of pouring for you. And then Before you set your cup down, after you've received the sake, it's considered most polite to take a sip out of it, not just receive the sake and just slam it on the table. No, you want to take a sip and acknowledge that it's been poured, and then you would take the bottle and pour for them. So it's, it's it's a 
using two hands is the most polite. And that's the same with pouring as well. If you're pouring for someone in a more formal situation, you want to use two hands to hold the bottle, and that's considered more polite and more gracious. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are you are you ticking off all the stories in your past where you, you might I've have broken the rules? There are definitely <laughs> a few more of these uh, rule violations that I'm, um, that I'm guilty of. Oh, no. Yeah, not nothing too bad, I don't yeah. think. And again, I think that for me, and I think that in, in Western culture sometimes the thought is when somebody's going to be pouring something for you, you're getting out of the way. If you pick up your glass, you're giving a uh, – wild card to the proceedings like mm. the you, you know are you holding it in the right spot is it making it easier or harder for them when it's sitting there stationary it's easy to pour and i think that's the western mentality mm-hmm. stay out of the way and just let let people do what they need to do and then you're going to grab it so mm. that's a thing to get out of the habit of doing and and pick up that glass and 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 offer it up well, offer it up meet them halfway as you pointed out yeah and again it's not a requirement but if if you think about it Sake cups, the the standard ochocos, are pretty small. And if you're across the table, leaning over, trying to pour the bottle and hit that little sake cup on the table, it, it's pretty splashy and, you know, not not easy to do. So lifting the cup up and meeting them uh, halfway makes it easier for them to give you the honor of pouring for you. So it's it's a great gesture to do. And depending on how formal the situation is. I mean, we go everywhere from like, I think like something like a Shinto religious ceremony is the most formal. Then you have wedding receptions and things like that. They're very, (laughs) very formal, very structured, and you have to adhere to these rules a little bit more strictly. But if you're out with your friends on a Friday night having fun, you don't have to worry about this stuff all that much. But again, as we said at the beginning, it's good to be aware. And I assume that if you're out with your friends or, you know, even at a more formal function, as the night wears on, some of these rules may become a little more suggestions. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, you can have a slacking off of all these rules as the night progresses and people have more sake and you'll see people in the corner pouring for themselves and, you know, uh, it's it's much more casual as things go go down. So when, when the ties start to loosen, <laughs> yes, when the jackets come off, <laughs> and the jackets come off, then you, then we know what's going on. Okay, right. You know, we've been talking about uh, rules for drinking sake so much, and I do want to keep going, but I think we should take a quick moment here and drink a little sake ourselves. Yes. So we have a delicious sake that we picked up to taste today and be our backdrop for sake etiquette. John, would you like to introduce the sake that we have today? Sure. Uh, this is the uh, Take no Tsuyu Junmai, and it's from uh, Take no Tsuyu Shuzo Jo. And this is a Junmai from mm-hmm. Yamagata. And I'm not overwhelmingly familiar with this brand. Are mm-hmm. you, Tim? I'm very familiar with this brand. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. All right. So I'm in, I'm in a slight disadvantage. <laughs> yes. um, the alcohol percentage is 15. The rice type is Miyamanishiki. And the rice milling percentage is 60%. So it's milled down to 60% remaining. And the sake meter value, that measure of dry to sweet that we like to talk about on the show, is plus 2 so this basically has the same gravity as water then, right, Tim? Well, zero is exactly the same. Oh, zero is exactly yes. water? Yep. Okay. So this is just a tick above that. 
Just um, a tick above water. Yep. So I, I always say, quick shorthand, the closer you are to zero with this SMV number, the less useful it's going to be to tell you how mm. sweet or dry it is. The further away, negative or positive you are from this number, the more likely it's going to be useful to you. So we'll just put a pin in that and, and see if we come back to it. So, All right. All right. Uh, and I believe the English word uh, for this brand and brewery is bamboo dew. Not Mountain Dew. Not Mountain Dew. Bamboo Dew. <laughs> so uh, take is the Japanese word for bamboo. And tsuyu must be dew. Dew. Yeah. So Mountain Dew would be yama no tsuyu. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I really hope somebody makes a sake called yama that no one day. <laughs> yama no tsuyu. And we'd have to get it on principle and have it on the show. And it's going to be green in color. <laughs> oh, no. Please, no. <laughs> All right. Well, I mentioned that I am familiar with this sake. I have met the president of Takenotsuyu many times. His name is Mr. Aisawa, and he is a big cheerleader for the sake industry and for Yamagata sake. And uh, this sake we have is one of their few exports to the U.S. They don't have a huge amount of sake over here, but this is their flagship sake. So I'm really excited ah. to try it with you. And I know you're a big fan of Yamagata, but this is going to stray a little bit from the standard profile for the Yamagata sake we talk about so much. All right. All well, I'm right. looking forward to trying it. Well, let's get this open. Let's. Hmm. So... Very clear, no haze going on. Slightly off, uh, off clear as far as color goes. <laughs> just, just a that's hint my, of that's color. That's my takeaway. <laughs> it's, you know, very, very. What do you like to say? Hay, almost like a little bit of hay. Yeah, golden straw, straw color. Golden straw. I like yeah. that. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. But it is very clear, meaning there's no um, obstructions. There's no haze to this at all. Yeah. So we would say transparent. Transparent. So, yes, so that means there's no particulate in there. But I have it on good authority that this is a, one of those underground Muroka sakes. So this has not uh, been charcoal filtered. So that gives wow. us just a hint, just a whisper of a golden color to this sake. Mm -hmm. Let's give it a smell. Uh, mm. Tim, you you told me this was not going to be typical Yamagata <laughs> fare, but this aroma tells me otherwise. <laughs> this has some fruit here, but we have to see the whole thing through before we judge. But we do have some fruit on the nose. Mm, so much melon. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also pick up on some of the crisper fruits, like maybe uh, Asian pear or okay. a little bit of uh, apple aroma as well. I can get that. I can get down with that. I understand. And I think in the back, there's a back note of something, just a hint of something earthy. This isn't a juicy, fresh pineapple tropical aroma. It's There's uh, some melon, there's some apple, and I get just a hint of something earthy in the back note. Hmm. Well, let's, let's yeah. find out if the uh, flavor lines up with the aroma. Hmm. All right. I see what you see mean. See what now. I mean? Yep. Yes. So 
the palette is overall dry and this is more of a rice forward sake on the palate. It's that that gentle miyamanishiki is coming through. And it is not that fruit bomb that we usually expect. It's not that juicy tropical pineapple guava, you know, super melon that we get on the most classic Yamagata sakes. This one is a little bit earthier, has just a hint of rice, but it's very balanced and restrained, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, they, it's, it is earthy with that hint of rice like you mentioned, but those fruit notes that you had in the nose are there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still present. It's just part of a, a larger whole. Uh, I want to say that the, the earthiness and the rice are much more prominent in the flavor than they were in the nose. Yes. Uh, they, have, they take a much bigger role, but those two experiences kind of complement each other. Yeah. So that was that was just why I was saying this isn't the most classic Yamagata sake out there, mm. but it is really delicious, really well-crafted. And one funny thing about Mr. Aisawa, the president, mm -hmm. when the very first time I met him was at a sake trade show. And he is very gregarious and very outgoing, and he always wears a head-to-toe Japanese kimono when he shows up at trade shows. Oh, and nice. he... He brought from Yamagata to New York, he brought bottles of his brewing water that had been bottled in 1.8 liter bottles. And he made you try the water and then try the sake. He was so proud of his brewing water that he had it bottled and he brought it along with him. That's wonderful. Yeah. Isn't that's, that amazing? That's pretty great. I've only had an experience like that once. And that was, um, it was actually in Japan at a, a bar. They had gotten some sake that they were very excited about and they also got magnums or isobin of the water used to make the sake the water from the brewery and they would they would have us try the sake and then have the water and mm. it was it was it was fantastic water uh, mm. very nice experience i had never had that before that's really fun yeah if you're not visiting a brewery it's kind of rare to have that experience so that's yeah. a wonderful thing to be able to taste the water and the sake side by side. We always say that when you pick up a bottle of sake, 80% is water. So it has a big impact on the impression of the sake. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that there is one more rule. Hmm. And we kind of already violated it, Tim. <laughs> we did. But it doesn't, it doesn't count for industry tastings. And that's what I'm filing uh... this under an industry tasting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. You heard, you heard it from Tim. This is an industry tasting. Uh, if you're drinking along at home, you are also exempt from any sort of uh, indicators for when you're allowed to start drinking. Yes. Rules and regulations are suspended <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, having said that, what is that rule? What is that, that last big that last big one? Yeah, there's, there's a big one out there, and it has to do with the way we end our podcast every <laughs> week. Which is one could argue that maybe we're supposed to open the podcast <laughs> with that, <laughs> but we don't. That's uh, yeah. it's, it's how we finish it up. Yeah. So what we're talking about is our big kampai at the end, and kampai, mm -hmm. of course, is Japanese for cheers. And this is very important when you go to even more formal events like a wedding mm -hmm. reception or something like that. Is that Everyone does a group kampai or a group cheers to start the drinking. 
And in order for that to happen, you have to wait until everyone has their sake in order to do the group kampai. And once that happens and everyone has kampaied at the same time, again, group harmony, everyone starting at the same time, then the party can begin. So there's a lot of shuffling and a lot of pouring and a lot of making sure everybody is set before you do that group kampai. Mm. And at the more formal events, a kampai is actually a little speech. So there may be words being said from the company president or from the groom's father or something like that. And they may be very emotional speeches about the event and what's going to happen and congratulations. And then kampai, boom, you're off to the races. So mm. Japanese events start with a kampai, we end with a kampai. <laughs> we're, we're Americans. We have to do things a little bit differently. Uh, and remember, though, when when that's happening, that speech is happening. You 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 hold your sake. You do not do not drink it. Do not drink it. No matter how long the speech is. That's right. <laughs> hold on to it. I think a lot of Americans or or other Westerners are familiar with this from wedding customs. It's very very normal for uh, for everybody to have a drink for mm -hmm. a speech from the like maybe the bride's father mm -hmm. or something like that. Yep. And, and then you would not sip your champagne or what have you right. until afterward. This yes. is just a same idea, just a little bit more um, structured. Yes. <laughs> and I would say it's ingrained for more casual gatherings as well. Like if I went to dinner in Japan with a few friends, I wouldn't start drinking until we had our cheers to kind of kick things off. So it's, again, just like the not pouring for yourself, I view it as pretty ingrained in society, even among close friends. Hmm, excellent. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Well, do you feel more prepared now to go to Japan? <sighs> it just makes me more bummed out that I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it makes me excited. It makes me uh, want to go uh, more. Yeah. It's, you know, just like uh, we've talked about this before, that my wife and I had been studying Japanese and that she's mm. much more proficient than I am. This, like that, is is something that gets you ready to be there. Mm -hmm. And it really gets you to want to get over there. It really gets you excited to go back. And and so, yeah, talking about this just gets me, um, you know, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's go. I want to test out all of these things that I've learned. Yeah. So Yeah, and it's, a, yeah. It's, it's also a wonderful way to learn more about Japanese culture. When you, when you study people's customs and rules and etiquette and manners, it informs you about the way they think and the way their groups are structured and it helps you learn about Japanese culture in general. So I think it's something really worth studying. If you want to watch the video that John mentioned at the beginning, I did a lecture on sake etiquette at the Japan Society and I'll put that YouTube video in our show notes. So be sure to check that out and you can watch a whole lecture on all the nuance of sake etiquette if you want to dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, so there's a lot to it and there's I learned so much from that and I'm really glad that we decided to share uh, a lot of that with our listeners this week. I think it's a fun topic. I do too and there's a lot more to learn so maybe we'll do etiquette part two in the future. Who knows? There's so much. <laughs> so much. So all much. Right. John, it was great to taste with you. And I want to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. If you would like to show your support for Sake Revolution, the best way to help us out right now would be to back us on Patreon. We are a listener-supported show, and we appreciate our patrons so much. 
The donations that we receive through Patreon are put exclusively to the production costs of our show, editing, hosting, etc. And we're so grateful for everyone who takes the time to back us on Patreon. And uh, to do so, you're going to go over to patreon.com slash sake revolution, where you can see uh, our tiers, what we offer. And uh, one of our offerings, of course, is our monthly happy hour where you guys get to drink with us and, and, you know, pick our brains a little bit about any sake topics that you might feel, uh, might feel that we don't touch on enough, or maybe you just want more information about, or you just want our opinions either way. It's a fun time, but that's not the only way to support us. You can also subscribe wherever you download your podcast. And of course, leave us a review. It really does help get the word out about the show. Uh, also, you know, tell a friend that's the old fashioned way. It still works. Good old word of mouth. I love that. Good old word of mouth. <laughs> and as always, if you would like to learn more about any of the topics or sakes we talked about in today's episode, visit our website. That is sakerevolution.com. And there you can see all the detailed show notes. And if you have sake questions that you need answered, we have an email address just for you. Reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. Uh, so, until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake, wait until the speech is done, and compile. John, that was so polite of you. <laughs> Good manners. <laughs> ah, I'm learning every day. <laughs>